This is Kimberly Rice, and you are tuned into the Secret Sauce Marketing Tasting Show, the groundbreaking podcast for business bosses, professional women, and anyone who is hungry to learn how to create the career, business, and life of their dreams by charting their own course. We're here this morning with David Freeman of law firm Culture Shift, who is a renowned coach and trainer um, for professionals in the legal services and beyond. Um, And we are so delighted to have him with us this morning to discuss um, many, many topics around the concept of um, empowering clients um, to develop the culture uh, of business development, business generation. So um, if we can hop back to you, David, I, I thank you so much for being with us. And, and would you please share with our listeners a bit about yourself, your per- professional passion, and a few insights into your professional journey? Well, first, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this stuff. It, it really is a passion that fortunately has found a way into being a vocation. And so In terms of the background that I think got this started, uh, I was in law school, finished law school, and just was really not ready to practice law. Didn't really like it that much. Mm. And so it ended up that I, the joke was that I ended up, the only court that I went to was a tennis court. Mm. And I ended up giving a shot to playing professional tennis because it was a lifelong dream. Uh, As you can tell, I didn't make it, (laughs) but I ended up getting a chance to really live something that was very important to me. Uh, The idea of really trying to achieve high performance and test myself and learn what techniques it takes to be able to do that is something that seems to permeate my soul. Mm. And so I took that going forward, and I uh, ended up working with Smith Barney for a while, learned a lot of their sales techniques, which was just fascinating on you know, how they know how to break down a conversation to the point of getting someone to actually try to talk to you about what Mm. it is their issues are. And then from there, a number of other things, and practiced then for a little while and reaffirmed the fact that it wasn't really for me, and ended up becoming a part owner of a community newspaper and really loved it. And it really, what, what came from that was I loved the leadership of it. I also really loved the consulting with the clients to help them figure out entrepreneurially what can you do to take your business to the next level. And so it was a fun thing to do, but made me no money whatsoever. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, we decided we needed to make a move, and so I found the world of law firm consulting. I figured let's put chocolate and peanut butter together, my sales and entrepreneurial background along with the legal side. And so fast forward to now, it's been almost 25 years training and coaching lawyers and leaders inside of law firms. And uh, I've probably worked with almost 200 firms, thousands of lawyers in just about every kind of a practice area. And uh, I just find it fascinating to be able to take a really bright population who are high achievers but who haven't really translated those skills into one of the legs of the stool of success, which is business development. So to be able to help them, you know, in a way, I was thinking about this last night, and it came to me that I'm, in essence, this alter ego. A lot of lawyers, they say, wow, why didn't I think of that? 
well, you haven't spent the time that I spent. It's not that there's any brilliance in it, but if you sit down and really think this stuff through, there's a logic to being able to build a practice. And so that's what I have done through my career, and now 25 years later, um, just sort of seeing the big picture. I think of what lawyers need to do, but back to the culture shift concept, what does a group need to do? What does a firm need to do to change the overall tenor and way things are done inside of a firm to be able to get everybody more focused on being business developers and focused on delivering truly exceptional levels of service to their clients? That's just fascinating. I love to hear about our guests' um, paths and journeys that have um, taken them to where they are today. Um, it's just so fascinating to me. So I guess the one question that um, bubbles up for me when you you outline your path is what attracted you to the law in the first place? You know, uh, to be completely honest, it was a default career at the yeah. end of college. Yeah. And I was an economics major and wasn't really thrilled with that. And I knew coming out as an economics major wasn't anything I needed to do, and that would be something that would align with me. And so I figured law school was a good next step. Mm -hmm. truly one of those decisions. And mm -hmm. I was hoping that it would be something that resonated with me, but it really wasn't my style. I'm much yeah. more of sort of in the coaching, um, and of course not all of law is like this, but one analogy that was brought up was being more of a baker than a butcher. Mm. And the baker takes ingredients and puts them together for something that's delicious and better than the individual pieces. Mm -hmm. The butcher slices things apart. Now, again, it's a pretty intense analogy, but to be involved in the challenging and the fighting and the litigation and all of that is just not yeah. who I am. And yeah. so my skills, my powers are more in bringing people together to find the best of themselves, and that lent itself to a different type of a career. That is such a powerful analogy. Yeah, um, it sticks with me. <laughs> um, it really is. And, of course, not all lawyers are butchers and not all of them are bakers. I think about real estate attorneys who might, you know, getting deals done, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, may put it, be put in the baker category to some extent. But, you know, <clears throat> with our respective experience, we could probably you know, unequivocally say um, none of them can be bakers in the world of business development um, because they're so woefully lacking in the business of law knowledge when they come out of law school. Yes. Um, and, and that's the fight I continue to fight um, today is, you know, tr you know work, trying to work with law schools to um, see, you know, I mean, I've been on the other end of that when I was in-house as chief marketing officer, you know, coaching and training, you know, baby lawyers that they, and not even just baby lawyers, but lawyers who have no concept of, you know, what marketing is or business generation or client service or any, I mean, there's just, there's no professional education to that in law school. It's such a chasm between the practice of law and the business of law and the education. Well, and even building on that, uh, I did a program for a law school once and it was interesting. They said, okay, so what would you talk to these students about? And <laughs> What came out of it was really a focus on two things, service and teamwork. Mm 
Mm. Because those are two things that they can do from day one, whereas yeah. business development, especially if they're going into a larger firm, they're not expected to do that. Right. But if they can get the fundamentals of understanding what outstanding, exceptional, wow levels of service looks like, Mm-hmm. And the same thing, it sort of bleeds over into teamwork, how to be an exceptional team member. These are skills that bleed over into business development as well as sets their personal brand for when they're inside of a firm of a real wow moment of this is a great hire. This yeah. is the kind of person who's going to cover my back, will show up, will be highly responsive. And it's fascinating to see some even senior partners inside of firms who are unresponsive to their own partners. And it's crazy on an overall overview 30,000-foot point of view, but it's real, and it happens. And so this is why I'm a big fan of this culture idea, because if we can really get leaders who understand what the culture is and then enforce that culture, hire to that culture, manage and reward to that culture, this is the kind of place that people love to come to work. Yes, that's that's brilliant. And I'm sure you've seen this as well that, I mean, law firms are law firms. And, you know, there's not a heck of a lot other than boutiques. They're they're kind of doing the same thing generally from a big picture point of view. So one lawyer could be in one firm practicing the same exact thing they could be practicing in another firm. Yet the culture in one place is so much better than another. And it just makes a difference between hiring, between how much somebody's going to be engaged and how much they're going to want to give to the to the work that they're doing, how much they care about their colleagues. This is the secret sauce that makes a great organization. You're and right. so that's why this culture piece is just so interesting and and important to me because it's the big picture that I think we all want to live in. In our homes, we want a good culture. In our friendships, we want a good culture. In our countries, we want a good culture. And where we spend eight or more hours a day, we want a good culture. Right. But it's something, as you said, they are woefully unprepared to train, to understand, to execute what it takes to create such a culture. Right. It it is. I mean, so we continue to poke holes where we can um, as new leadership comes up, et cetera. But so back to the the concept of law firm culture shift, um, help our listeners understand more about your approach to developing the law firm culture that embraces business development and why this matters um, as an effective business practice. Yes. You know, it's interesting, sort of still setting the stage a little bit. In most firms that I'm sure you go into, as well as I've seen, culture is more upset by default than by design. Mm -hmm. It can be that there was a powerful leader who set the stage, and that's how things were done. Uh, I remember being in a firm in the Midwest, and they were talking about how 30 years in the past, there was a big fight between two of the name partners. So one partner took all of the lawyers and went to another floor. And these two lawyers were long dead and gone, and still these departments were separated, and there was this feeling of us versus them. And it's just the legacy that gets left in the space by certain people who have outsized personalities or just how compensation systems are set up. And so it really takes leadership to be able to understand and get clear about what's going on. You've probably heard the phrase that culture eats strategy for lunch. 
Mm. And so by setting the right cultural tone, and this is really, I mean, culture is a word that gets thrown around. What the heck does it mean? It's the values. It's mm-hmm. how we do things around here. It's the compilation of behaviors. The, the, uh, I heard it defined as the sum total of the conversations that occur within an organization. And are these collaborative conversations? Are they all trending in a positive? Or is there negativity and fear and concern and uh, just so many of the things that go on that with some awareness and attention can make it a much better place and people will show up and give more of themselves. And at the end of the day, all of this talk around culture, around leadership, it's all aimed to one thing, which is we're trying to get more from the people who work with us. That's really it. Mm -hmm. It's more time. It's more energy. It's more creativity. It's more passion. It's just getting more of them. And you've seen, I'm sure, the the Gallup studies, and they study uh, worker engagement. And there is a tremendous number of workers that are disengaged Mm -hmm. or moderately engaged in their work. And clearly that's not what we want to have going on. In Google, they had a a program called Project Aristotle. And this was a project with the very lofty goal of creating perfect teams. And needless to say, when you're in an environment like a Google, you're looking for great breakthroughs. You really need so many thousands of people. They have to try to blend and get the most out of what they can with each other. And what they found is that empathy and communication were two critically important skills that were needed to be able to create great teams. And so while these things feel like soft skills, these are things that generate revenue at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things we're looking to do when we work. One, have a good time and enjoy ourselves. Number two, let's make as much money as we can for the time we're putting in. Mm-hmm. And so it's these kind of elements that, especially in our worlds of law firms, you know, this is not something that a leader drives to work every day thinking about. How am I going to create a more empathetic environment and better communication and an environment where people feel safe to take risks? Now, these are the factors of success. These are studied deeply to understand that that's what we need, yet virtually no one's thinking about that in their day-to-day interactions with each other. So some leaders are naturally gifted this way. They have this intuition. The whole idea of what I'm trying to do with this culture shift concept is to bring it to an entire organization, mm-hmm. raise the awareness, have the conversation so that it becomes the language inside of an organization, cultural norms. Um, and so it's really getting the leaders to understand what their roles are. And the reason why I focus on business development is that, you know, <laughs> literally that's where the money is. That's what we're right. aiming at. And so if we can create norms and processes that are wrapped around business development, that's going to bleed itself out into other elements of how the culture works. This is where the values need to be exhibited. So, for example, I was speaking with somebody yesterday, and he talked about he was brought in as a non-equity partner, and whenever he would bring in work, some other partners would steal credit for it. Mm-hmm. And they had greater power than him, and he was a new guy, so he didn't really want to rock the boat too intensely. But, you know, he's poisoned. He does not like it there. And unless things change, he's going to leave. Mm. Now, that's not the kind of person I want representing my company. My right. 
And so it's really setting the tone from the top. I remember a firm where the managing partner would not share origination credit when there was cross-selling going on, and he brought in another lawyer. That lawyer, but for that lawyer being there, the work would not have come in. And then when it comes time to split up credit, this um, leader, excuse me, this leader would not share the credit. Mm. So that's not the kind of culture that we want. We don't want yeah. a crappy place to work. We want a great place to work. Well, and that ends up just reinforcing the whole concept of the revolving door. Yeah. I mean, and it's you've just, seen those numbers around when you lose somebody, uh, the tens of thousands of dollars and time that gets lost to re to find somebody to retrain them. It's just it's terrible. Well, it's just it's a very poor business practice. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's exciting. I mean, I would imagine it's a very exciting um, endeavor when you're trying to transform an entire enterprise. It certainly is, and it has to start at the grassroots level. So mm-hmm. a lot of the work that I do is training and coaching individual lawyers or leaders because that's where it happens. It's out of their mouths and their actions and their behaviors mm-hmm. that the change occurs. So there's macro work that's done where we uh, you know, often get a firm together or a practice group together to create a collaborative plan for where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And the collaborative part is really important because we need the buy-in. Right. And so literally in a two- to three-hour process, I can start with a blank piece of paper and that two to three hours later, there is agreement on the top priorities the action steps to be taken under those priorities, and a timeline for getting them done. And while a leader might be able to go off to their office and craft the same plan, the idea that it's not everybody else's plan is a bit of the secret sauce for engagement because Mm -hmm. it's not about the plan. It's about the execution on the plan. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing for retreats. When a firm goes off and does a retreat and there's planning and there's training, you know, uh, some folks can check off a box to say, we did it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, all that is is a catalyst to get new behavior to occur. And so right. if things are not done afterward to put that in place, then it's just wasted time. And so, you know, that's not a culture shift. So, exactly. So explain your philosophy um, around the building of the sales culture um, and um, how that your culture x-ray tool um, figures into that. Yeah, so let's start out with the culture x-ray tool. So many years ago, um, I built this assessment tool because, you know, it's really hard to be able to assess and understand and measure the culture of business development that exists in a firm. So what I created was a 41-question or statement survey very quick, and then what people need to do, the lawyers in the firm, they rate on a one-to-five scale if this statement is, uh, if they agree with it or they disagree with it. Mm-hmm. And so a three is a sort of an average, you know, one to two means we're terrible, <laughs> and right. five, we're nailing it. And so what's great about it is a couple of things. One, you get to hear the quote-unquote voice of the firm. Mm-hmm. And so, again, instead of an expert from afar or from a leader coming in and saying, this is what we need to do, everybody has said what they need. So you get the buy-in. And, again, all roads lead to buy-in. Mm-hmm. 
And this really helps. I often use this uh, in advance of my training. So if I come in and, for example, if I'm doing a section on client service, then it's interesting. Everybody thinks they give pretty good service. I've coached thousands of lawyers. And in my coaching, I'll often ask, what makes you different? What makes you stand out? Oh, I'm very responsive. I get back to my clients quickly. Everybody says it. Right. Yet the averages say that clients don't believe that law firms are delivering great service. So there's a disconnect there. So I'll often show some of their responses that really show collectively how they don't believe they're being responsive, even though they thought they were. And so it really helps create buy-in that way. It's a great running start. Leader, leadership teams can use it to plan their year because they're hearing what their lawyers are saying, what's needed. So it's just a great tool to expose the inner thinking of the firm. And then that can be a trigger for building whatever it is that needs to be built. So mm -hmm. if you find that cross-selling is something that's not really doing well, then you could put your shoulders into doing that. If it's the business development training, as you said, coming out of law school, nobody's taught this. They really learn it either on their own or if a firm is proactive enough to provide training, then they learn it that way. So we really can uncover where the elements are and how to put them together. And that's sort of the big thing because I kind of look at business development. Let's look at a medium-ish to large, you know, relatively large law firm or any size firm, really. And they are doing initiatives. They are doing some sort of a training, perhaps. They are maybe doing something with their leaders. They might be conducting a retreat. They might be looking at their compensation systems. All these things have interaction and synergy with them. But most of the time, it's more of a Frankenstein model, where different pieces are put together, but they're not really compatible. They're not right. talking to each other. Right. I had a stint where I was a balanced scorecard consultant. This is a methodology uh, that many very, uh, very large corporations are using. And the bottom line of it is that most organizations don't measure themselves in a balanced way. It's usually just on how they're doing with revenue. But there are four quadrants to running a business. It's the people and the culture. It's the internal operations. It's the client-slash-customer focus. And then it's the financials. Mm -hmm. And if you go in that order, and if you say, let's go develop fantastic people who are very smart and sharp at what they do and happy where they work, then, and this cascades to the next piece, they will build efficient and effective internal operations, and you focus on that and you put measures to that. Then, those two together, we will then build great systems for attracting, retaining, and growing our clients or customers. And that pours into the bottom line. So there's a linkage right. model to all of this. Sure. What I often find is that most organizations, and especially in law firms, because law firms in general are a little behind in terms of management uh, skills and methodologies, there isn't a really strong linkage between things. Mm -hmm. So what a waste of time and effort to train lawyers in doing one thing, then leaders are trained to do something else, if at all. A retreat aims them over here. A compensation system is not built in a way that motivates the behaviors that strategically we're trying to get done. So there's a real disconnect in the system. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love looking at is the, the puzzle, sort of the uh, Rubik's Cube of moving the things around until everything is aligned and really supporting each other. That's fantastic. Um, so what is usually <clears throat> – 
what is usually some of the challenges or obstacles uh, when you start digging that deep um, and as far as firms struggling with even self-awareness? I mean, we see this all the time that, you know, you can have a, on, on paper, you know, a firm can have no debt. You know, they have, you know, they're all making um, what one might characterize, you know, excessive amounts of revenue, generating excessive amounts of revenue, but it's rotten from the inside out. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. And, you know, what I find is there are a lot of factors that get in the way, the roadblocks, the obstacles, um, or as some call it in, in life coaching circles, the gremlins, these mm. things that just dance around and get in the way. And so it could be low motivation. Lawyers mm-hmm. are just not motivated to go out uh, and do these things. There's silo mentalities that I'm working in my world, you're working in your world. It could be by office. It could be by um, lots of different factors in there. And um, it could be groups and that there's energies within groups that are kind of dysfunctional. And you, know, you see this all the time. And it's interesting. I remember one leader in a firm said that uh, – you can tell the good practice groups by the ones that the associates are most wanting to get into mm-hmm. because they talk to each other and they know where it's good to work. Mm-hmm. Most firms are pretty poor in implementation, a lot mm-hmm. of planning, and it just sort of dies out on implementation. Mm-hmm. You have leaders who were never trained to lead. Right. Um, communication is often very poor between offices and between groups so that they don't really know what each other is doing to Mm -hmm. be able to get the synergy. And this attaches to things like cross-selling, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, There's lack of trust. I mean, I remember coaching one lawyer, and we started talking about cross-selling. And he goes, oh, no, let me stop you here. I don't trust any of my partners. (laughs) (laughs) And when we figuratively laid him on the couch, we found out what was going on. It was really a lack of communication and Mm -hmm. managing expectations up front. So the lawyer who was brought in was doing it the way he thought he needed to do it, but it wasn't what the first lawyer needed, but they didn't communicate it up front. I mean, there's so many little pieces that could be tweaked to get this this system flowing so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, unclear goals and measures. And this is something that's interesting, and especially I find in my coaching work, so many times a firm, of course, they want to see revenue coming out Mm -hmm. of my coaching. Mm -hmm. It makes all the sense in the world. That's the the end-of-the-day goal. But I'm more of a longer-term thinker than a short-term thinker. Mm -hmm. And so if there are opportunities, we help them go after it. But what I often find is that lawyers don't have a big enough network. Or they are not communicating well to that network to remind them of what they do for a living. So they've nurtured certain relationships, and then they let them die. Mm -hmm. And so to build systems around communication, staying top of mind, reminding people of what their brand is, this is the long-term culture that we're looking for versus short-term, quick kind of results. Excuse me. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that go on in there and lots of different ways to kind of address them. Sure. So, so speaking speaking yes, of – I'm sorry. So speaking of cross-selling, yes. um, well, I'd like to hear your unique point of view, um, and you touched on it a moment ago, but it may be expansive beyond that, is why do you think that firms, lawyers struggle so with effectively cross-selling when it could have an immediate – 
um, positive impact to their bottom line. Yeah, no, it's it's just a, other than getting work in the same area from your clients, your existing clients, it's probably the fastest, most efficient money that could come in. Uh-huh. But exactly. The thing is, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's hard is for some of the factors we talked about. One is that trust factor. Mm-hmm. And so if I've got a client that I've worked with for 15 years and I know is pretty quirky, and maybe I had an issue with them in the past. If I uh, hand it off to somebody else, I don't know what that person's values are, how well they're going to deliver service. They just might screw it up, and therefore I might lose the client. So I'd rather not risk what I have now in my pocket versus what could go wrong down the road. Um, Another thing is that people don't think about this every day. They're in their lane. They're thinking about the work they do. And they're not thinking about, how can I go deliver um, and think about another practice area? And how can I bring that practice area into my client? That's just not on the radar for most lawyers. Right. Internally, they don't know what each other does that well. They don't understand. You know, it's one of the exercises that I go through is to have them do a couple of things. One, come up with two to three probing questions that another practice area, another lawyer would ask. Because if I am a corporate lawyer and there's a real estate component to what my client is doing, I don't know what's going on in real estate. I don't know the questions to ask. Right. Another piece is what I call brag points. If I'm going to bring in another lawyer, I've got to brag about them. Mm -hmm. This is why I think they're a great fit. But we don't communicate that all that well inside of our firms. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the understanding of the timing of what a client needs. Uh, you know, we just can't cross-sell for the sake of cross-selling. It's got to be a high priority. Mm-hmm. And probably the most important and most subtle thing, I wrote a book a couple of years ago on this, and when you write a book, you become a geek, and you start going deep into subtle things you wouldn't think about otherwise. And so one of the things that really jumped out at me was this idea of if I want to come to you and say, hey, Kim, I would like to uh, get work from your client. There are yellow or red flags popping up in the back of your head. I have to think about your needs first. I have to sell this to you first. I have to build the business case for why you say, you know what, that's an amazing idea. I am comfortable with this, and yes, I will now follow through and do it. But otherwise, if it just raises flags, you're not motivated. Well, ultimately, I mean, you know, this is one of the things, another one of the things that lawyers are not taught in law school, um, which falls under the business of law, is, you know, it's not about them. It's about service, you know, and developing, you know, the service mentality um, because that's not what they get in law school, for one. And with so much of the focus on the financial bottom line, you know what is you know what's your production numbers? What is your billing numbers? What is the realization rates? Everything's you know so much of the the consciousness of firms is centered around the financials and not yes. the service. Um, it's it's a real uphill climb to reorient lawyers' mindset. Well, and it's interesting because statistics rule, and you know I'm with you with the whole idea of service. I actually have the trademark on cross-serving. And in my training, I reframe cross-selling to cross-serving because mm-hmm. lawyers aren't necessarily comfortable selling. Very mm-hmm. few people want to be perceived as a salesperson. 
mm-hmm. but to provide fantastic service sort of changes the game. It changes mm-hmm. the comfort level to reach out. It changes the mindset of the action. And, you know, going back to what you were saying, BTI Consulting has some great statistics they put out. And they have actually done research to see some of the financial implications of being great service-oriented law firms. Mm-hmm. And there are numbers, and I'll paraphrase, I don't recall exactly what they are, but, you know, revenue maybe 30% higher than firms that are not perceived as delivering best-in-class client service. Mm-hmm. Rates are much higher. Um, the number of practice areas that are used per client are higher. And it's all logical. Because mm-hmm. if the client is getting great service, they're going to want to use them more. Sure. And so there is a dollar component to what somebody would think as a soft skill. And so it's really kind of reframing and getting people to think about this differently. And I'm a big fan of this concept of cross-selling or cross-serving. I've actually just created technology that automates my coaching in that area. Mm. And the reason why I love cross-selling or cross-serving is because it can become a first domino that can trigger a lot of other actions. And so there's a book called The Power of Habit. And in the book they talk about this concept where you know somebody might have a ton of things that they're looking to change in their life. And it's really hard to do that. But if you can find the one keystone habit that you change that then motivates and activates other changes, it makes mm-hmm. it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And so one example they gave is of a woman who wanted to get fit, stop smoking, eat better, um, you know, just overall, like three, four, five different factors. And so what she did is she took up running. And the running then triggered this positive desire to eat less and to stop smoking and to really look at her diet more carefully and, and, and. So it mm-hmm. was one thing that motivated others. To me, cross-selling is the same thing. And if you are going to really commit to creating a culture of cross-serving, you're going to have to have more communication between your lawyers. You're going to have to create collegiality and trust. You're going to have to have leaders who know how to lead. You're going to have to connect lawyers uh, to each other in different offices. You're going to have to align your compensation systems. You're going to have to better integrate your laterals when they come into the firm. All of these things come down to an anchor and the anger yeah. of being a cross-serving, focused culture. Mm, yeah. Um, that's fascinating. And, it, you know, uh, you lay it out very, very clearly and succinctly. Um, if only it were that easy to execute <laughs> upon this. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, bless, bless their hearts. They, um, you know, they just don't know what they don't know, although they think they know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we run into it all the time. But... What what is the the ray of hope? And when, what, in the work that you do, we do somewhat similar work in the coaching yes. and the training. But what what do you see? You know, in as a ray of hope of shifts, whether it's with the the youngins that are coming up or with the technology. I mean, what do you see um, as a shining ray of hope for you know the firms embracing the culture shift and the cross servicing? You know, it makes so much logical business, you know, it's a great business practice. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I often find that, like you said, it's it's logic. And if we have one population that gets logic more than the others on the planet, it's lawyers. 
The challenge is that they often don't spend enough time thinking through these issues of personal business development, law firm development, and so on. So they haven't allowed that culture loop to go, I'm sorry, that logic loop to go to its final conclusion. So part of what my job is as a bit of a wizard behind the curtain is to get them to think it through, which Mm. is why a a two, three-hour collaborative planning session is so powerful because then they have come up with the conclusions themselves and they see, wow, we need to do more of A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. And then we drill down to A, B, and C. So I think collaborative planning is important and then hitting the few who hit the many. And by that I mean working with the practice group leaders. Mm -hmm. Because these are the leaders who are in corporate parlance, the line managers. They're Mm -hmm. the ones with direct contact with the people who have to do what we need them to do. So if we get them to understand their role of creating an effective team, an effective group, running better meetings, having accountability, having people engaged, understanding how to be an effective coach. Um, There's a book that's uh, been around for a long time, but I just love its model called Primal Leadership, Mm -hmm. written by uh, the guy who also wrote Emotional Intelligence. Oh, okay. And so he's got six styles of leadership in there that I love because I think they apply really beautifully to law firms. Mm -hmm. And the most effective style of leadership is the coaching style of leadership. It's shown to develop the most revenue, um, and it makes sense. But most leaders don't have the time because, you know, we've got weird models inside of our law firms where our leaders still have to bill a full book. Mm -hmm. And so to take the time to sit back and nurture this next generation or the folks that they're leading – that takes away from billables, and they get dinged if they're not made their billables. So there's sort of infrastructure issues that get a bit in the way, but my job is to be as efficient as possible, to be able to provide a training, and more importantly, the coaching, because every leader has a different set of circumstances, to be able to help them understand how they can customize best practices and leadership for the circumstances that live within each one of their groups and with each one of their lawyers. So fascinating, and every um, uh, every day is a different challenge, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating. Every client, I mean, I, I'll coach anywhere from, you know, five to ten people a day. Wow. And it's just fascinating <laughs> what yeah, shows yeah, up with each phone call. Because they're all different. Yeah, yeah, everybody's yeah. a different point in their curve, and yeah. they've got a different set of goals, and it's just, it's really interesting. Uh, it's yeah. what I love about it. It's not a, co- a cookie-cutter kind of a work. It's really very customized for each individual, and it gives them great satisfaction to gain, because they all kind of want to be there. Right. They want to be a better leader. They want to be in a better firm. They want to build more revenue. They don't want to waste time. And so it's really great to help them come up with the ahas on what could be something that really works for them. Yes. That's that's fascinating. So I want to be mindful of our time, but a couple of couple of last questions, and I love to hear um, every, our, we, when we have guests, I ask this of every guest, is that if you could give your younger self one piece of professional advice, what would that be? Hmm. I think it's a great question. I love and, it because I yeah, love hearing no, the answers. Right. If only we could roll back time and live it. <laughs> 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 but uh, I think there's there's two things that hit me. Um, and, you know, one is to be myself sooner. Yeah. That, you know, who I am in the world, what I bring, 
uh, you know, sometimes we find ourselves feeling like we've got to kind of be the way the system looks like. And as I have gone through my career, I realize that, you know, we all have certain, and we're overstating this, but for emphasis, we all have superpowers. We all have things sure. we're good at. Sure. And to be able to put that out there, and you can't make the whole world happy, no. but to be able to put out who you are in the world, what your philosophy, what your mission is, be authentic and communicate that is something that I find then you end up attracting the kind of people who really like working with you instead of having dissonance. The other yeah. thing that I find that um, I'm implementing now even more than ever is to engage with masters. Mm. And I kind of call this engaging powerful allies. And to bring people in who are damn good at what they do, as friends, mm -hmm. as consultants, and just involve yourself with people who are really good at what they do because it ends up raising your game. Yeah. It ends up making you see things in different ways and bringing the tools and talents that are sort of laying dormant brings them up because these people are activating them. And again, it's an alter ego moment. But for you know, for most of us, we're pretty functional. <laughs> and if we took a career to become a branding expert, we'd understand branding. Mm -hmm. If we took a career to become a leadership, leadership expert, then we'd understand that. So these people bring a career's worth of knowledge together and pithily bring it to you through their summary of everything they've learned and the connections you make in being in those rooms. And uh, you know, I guess the last piece is I'm a huge geeky fan of the soundtrack in the play Hamilton. Mm. And there's an article I'm actually going to put out on the lessons of Hamilton as a rainmaker <laughs> because there are so many lyrics in there that apply to business development. And there's one phrase in there that sticks out, and I will not sing, so you're prepared. <laughs> Uh, but there's a phrase and, and lyrics in there that say, you've got to be in the room where it happens. Mm. And if there's anything that I would summarize business development about, it's getting in the room where it happens. And all the mm. techniques and all the skills that we are training our lawyers in is so that they actually can be sitting face-to-face -face or in rooms with the people that they want to get referrals from or they want to get work. Sure. And Masterful. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, um, and so lastly, um, I want to wrap up our conversation with giving um, our listeners um, the best way to connect with you um, so they can, you know, reach out, ask questions, engage with you, et cetera. So share with us, please, um, the best ways to connect with you directly. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, the website is Law Firm Culture Shift, and I can be reached at david at lawfirmcultureshift.com. And that's probably the easiest way to be able mm -hmm. to make connection. And uh, I always love these conversations. Uh, like I say, it's a bit of an avocation as much as a vocation. And it's just fascinating when people show up with, you know, they've got these challenges and issues. This is a world in which I live, and I'm always happy to share my thinking on it. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thinking and your thought leadership with us today, David. Uh, it's been a very fascinating conversation. I know that our listeners will, will gain um, so much insight. There's a lot of nuggets here, a lot of things to grab onto um, for development and uh, food for thought and, and implementing them or to integrate them into their own business. But um, I want to thank our li listeners again for joining us today on the Secret Sauce Marketing Tasting Show. Uh, we bring masters of in their worlds 
of expertise to our shows to um, uplift and empower others um, so they can live and create the career, business, and life of their dreams. So, again, thank you, David, so much. And until um, next time, uh, keep moving forward. Thank you. Thank you.